Annie McLaughlin here for Stick Together, a half hour of workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. We come to you from 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation with respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. We are coming to you on your community radio station through the Community Radio Network. Two years ago, a Senate inquiry into safety in the transport industry called for minimum standards to be set so that drivers and owners were not being forced to drive unsafe lengths of time because of cutthroat rates of pay and ridiculously short time frames for deliveries. A rally of convoy vehicles outside the Federal Parliament building in Canberra on Saturday was told that since that report was shelved by the previous Morrison government, a hundred more transport drivers have been killed in pursuit of their jobs. The convoy of trucks in Canberra was mirrored in Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Darwin and Cairns. The rallies were designed to put pressure on all sides of politics to support minimum standard legislation which is due in Federal Parliament in the coming months. What is different about these rallies is that both drivers and owners have joined together as they fear the gig economy methods that are exploiting food delivery riders are set to infect the entire transport industry. We hear first TWU National Secretary Michael Kane talking to 3CR's Priya Kujan about the particular brand of exploitation being experienced by food delivery drivers. And then we go to the press conference held in Canberra on Saturday to hear an outline of the issues for drivers in the broader transport industry. But first, some union news. We reported that the MUA, the Maritime Union of Australia, called a rally of unions outside the Melbourne Convention Centre last week where CEO of Osted, the Danish company, the world's biggest offshore wind power developer, was due to speak at Australia Wind Energy 2023. Osted has a record of trashing union jobs in America where they reneged on a deal with the ILA, the International Longshoremen's Association, in New Hampshire. The rally was to make Osted aware of international union solidarity and to make it clear that if Osted enters the offshore wind market in Australia, it is expected that they will negotiate with union workers. We can report that there was some response from Ofsted CEO Mads Nipper, who met with union representatives later in the day. No word as to what was discussed, but the move to discussion was welcomed. Following up on the report that the New South Wales branch of the Rail, Tram and Bus Union, RTBU, New South Wales Locomotive Division, tried to defuse a lockout of 180 locomotive drivers by Cube by claiming the company was putting the public at risk, a mechanism usually employed by an employer in an industrial dispute. 
the claim was rejected by the Fair Work Commission. The union alleged Cube's past response to industrial action showed it failed to get approval to use fate trains in Sydney Trains Network and was rostering unqualified drivers to replace striking drivers, endangering commuters. But the Commission found Cube was using qualified drivers and there was no evidence Sydney Trains had raised concerns. RTBU New South Wales Locomotive Secretary Farron Campbell said the case was dismissed, but we don't see that as a dismissal of our safety fears, rather a sign that it was too difficult for the union to prove the safety allegations with the available evidence and in the short time frames required. The dispute between Cube and the RTBU erupted last month despite the parties reaching an in-principle agreement in June that included 6% pay rises this year when Cube postponed any deal after the RTBU launched a federal court case against the company over $32 million in underpayments of entitlements going back to 2017. The ETU, the Electrical Trades Union, has accused the federal government of a stunning betrayal after it signed off on a labour migration agreement that will see 400 temporary visa workers brought into the country to work on renewable energy transmission infrastructure at cut price wages, jeopardising the existing workforce. The $2.3 billion energy electricity interconnector is a 700-kilometre, 330-kilovolt transmission line being built between Wagga Wagga, New South Wales and Robertstown in South Australia with a connection to Redcliffs in Victoria connecting grids across the three states. The Labor Migration Agreement was sought by Greenlight Contractors, the principal contractor on the project, despite it already having a contractor workforce performing the work. The Labor Migration Agreement, approved by Minister Giles, effectively bakes that exploitation in, says the ETU, codifying the company's ability to pay workers $10 less per hour than the current workforce. This is a disgraceful move from Minister Giles, who should hang his head in shame, said Alan Hicks, ETU New South Wales Secretary. His rhetoric on migrant workers does not match his actions. He has today rubber-stamped work for place inequality based on visa status. Greenlight Contractors has previously refused and obstructed ETU organisers' attempts to enter the worksite to meet with workers. On May the 9th and 10th, employees were blocked from talking to an ETU organiser during their lunch break about their workplace rights, with the union obtaining a federal court injunction to get its organisers onto site. More recently, the union has discovered serious allegations of underpayments and work health and safety breaches. This is the very definition of rewarding bad employer behaviour, said the union. Migration of this scale should be permanent and the workers must have the capacity to enforce the same rights and receive the same pay as Australian citizens and employers who want to access migrant labour must first demonstrate a commitment to training local Australian employees. 
You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. On Saturday, convoys of trucks were set in motion in Canberra, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Darwin and Cairns. The Transport Workers Union, the TWU and industry groups were calling for reforming legislation to create minimum standards to bring safety and security to the transport industry across the board. TWU National Secretary Michael Kane talks to 3CR's Priya Kujan about how the gig economy model affects food delivery riders, a model which is threatening to infect the entire transport industry. I thought we could begin by talking a bit about where transport gig workers sit in relation to transport employees as recognised in Australian law. So in the lead up to the last uh, federal election, Labor committed to giving the Fair Work Commission new powers to set minimum standards for workers engaged in, quote, employee-like, end quote, forms of work, which would cover workers in the gig economy. So could you clarify what the term employee-like means in relation to transport gig work? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a situation where we're facing really old law. Uh, this is 200-year-old law uh, that we've inherited from uh, from the English. Uh, and really, in in Australia, uh, we've got um, really just a two-tiered system. You're an employee, and if you are, you're engaged by your employer, and you receive a bundle of rights and protections that have been built up really over the last 120 years in Australia. And they're protections that we all know about, protections from um, having your uh, engagement unfairly uh, ended, you know, unfair sackings. You you get a minimum wage. You get the right to um, uh, health and safety protections. You get the right to take leave. Um, All of these things have been built up for years and years. If you're an independent contractor, you're a worker that works as an independent contractor, you get none of those protections. And the issue has arisen with the gig economy, uh, that those workers in the gig economy, particularly food delivery riders, rideshare workers, etc., they are so close to looking like employees that we've protected over this 120 years, but the courts have found them on the old 200 years test to be independent contractors. And, of course, the gig companies know this. They've deliberately pushed these workers outside of the system. And what that means is, of course that all of a sudden they have no rights. So the employee-like proposal is to say, if, as workers, under our old laws, you fall outside of the system, but you have all of the hallmarks of dependency that an employee might, or many of them, then you should get protections, and that's what the new system is designed to do. First thing to note about the report from Macau is it's the first non-company commissioned report of this size. So over a 1,000 workers, not commissioned by a company. There's plenty of Plenty of reports out there commissioned by Uber Mm. uh, for their own purposes. Uh, So this is an independent report. And what it does is it busts this flexibility myth. Uh, Of course, um, workers in the gig economy like the idea that they can sign on to the app at a time that suits them. That's fine. But what this report shows us is that there's no flexibility for these workers at all other than the time that they sign on to the app. There's 81% of them rely on the income that they gain from this work. Uh, to look after themselves and pay their bills. Of course, the companies have adverts right around the country 
as if this is kind of beer money on the side for workers at um, university. That's not the case. People rely on this income. 69% said they've got to work during peak hours to make enough money. So if you have to log on at a particular point in time to make enough money, then, of course, that's not a hallmark of flexibility. And 74% said that they have to use multiple apps to make enough money. Again, you've got um, gig riders and gig workers and rideshare workers who are having to multi-app, three or four apps, and trying to juggle that to make enough money. This is really critical for us here, that the longer you drive, then proportionally the less you earn, because if you uh, are on the app for a number of hours, many of those hours that you're on the app and you're not getting paid anything. You're just waiting at the end of the app for work. Mm. So this means that um, many of these workers are, are working for less than the minimum wage in Australia. They're under real pressure to work as fast and as hard as they can when that work comes through so that they can make a living for themselves and their families. And, of course, that's not a recipe for flexibility and it's not a recipe for any worker that we want in our country. The Fair Work Commission is currently undertaking a process of consultation about setting minimum standards for workers in employee-like forms of work, including transport gig workers. So uh, what are some of the key issues that need to be taken into account? Really, it's about a lack of standards. So we've just spoken about why. That is, our law is hopelessly out of date. If you're an independent contractor, even if you're highly reliant on those that engage you, like food delivery workers are, like rideshare workers are, you've got no rights because you're classified as an independent contractor. And that means a lack of standards. And one of the key standards that you lack is the right to an appropriate rate of pay. Now, in the transport industry, there's nearly four decades worth of evidence, empirical independent evidence, academic evidence, it's judicial reports, it's coronial inquiries, uh, it's government reports which show an absolute inextricable link between the amount that transport workers are paid and safety outcomes. If you're paid uh, an amount which is too low, then workers are forced to work too fast or too long to make a living for themselves and their families, and either of those are deadly. Too fast, of course, it goes without saying, too long, and the fatigue issues start hitting. So there is a link between pay and safety, and these workers need to have standards put in place to ensure that they're paid enough so they don't have to work helpful whether to make a living. And, of course, if we get that right and support that with protections from unfair terminations, you know, these workers face deactivations without explanation. And those deactivations are often driven by artificial intelligence through the app. All of a sudden they say, you are deactivated from this app, and it could be because of a customer review that's unfair, etc. but there's no way to challenge it. So you've got to have unfair dismissal rights to support your standards. You've got to have rights to leave, to be able to take sick leave when you're unwell. These workers were the heroes of the pandemic delivering to businesses and homes before there was any sign of a vaccine. And they had no sick leave. And so they had to work through some of them with COVID. And these are the types of standards that we need to put in place to support these workers into the future. If you could speak to the necessity of making agreements with large companies directly, as the Transport Workers Union did with Uber around this time last year. So could you give us your reflections on uh, changes in enforceable rights for transport gig workers engaged via the Uber platform since signing that charter? Well, this is a really important development. In one sense, it's quite breathtaking. We've had these companies, particularly led by Uber, entering our market in, in 2011, who disrupted the market quite deliberately. And, of course, they were able to do that because they were able to cut their business costs because of what we've been talking about, pushing these workers outside of the system that we've built up, and that gives them a massive 
competitive costs against other transport companies in the economy. But now, having disrupted the economy, uh, they can see some real storms brewing for their business on the horizon. And those storms really have two aspects to them. Number one, reputation. And you and I have just spent uh, the better part of the last 10 minutes talking about quite literally how these forms of work are killing workers on our roads and leaving others who really destitute and with poverty wages. That's a reputational risk that is really starting to bite in the community. And secondly, breathtakingly, these companies are now concerned about other competition coming to undermine them. Because when you have no standards available, then it's only a matter of time that your business becomes so big that there's a drag there and more nimble operators can come in and drive the standards even lower. So these companies are now saying to us, actually, we agree with you, Transport Workers Union. We agree that we actually have to have a floor of standards in place. We need it for our reputation and we need it for sustainable competition. And that's really important also for those transport operators in our economy, good transport operators that have been in our economy for years, that are doing the right thing engaging employees with appropriate standards because otherwise they are going to be undercut and their business is going to be unviable into the future. These agreements are really important. They commit not only Uber but DoorDash and Menulog, but really the three big ones in our economy, to be with us on the journey to reform. Now, of course, they have a different view about what that reform should look like, but the basic notion that we need reform, we need sustainable competition, we need a set of standards in place for workers is why we've signed these arrangements with these companies. It's a significant step forward and we think that that's one of the key elements in this being able to get sustainable and workable legislation through this parliament in the next few months. The, the fast kind of proliferation and growth of these kinds of rideshare and food delivery platform-based services, there's been a huge growth in the number of workers that are engaged with these services, but uh, what, how does that kind of translate to, to union engagement? Yeah, well, this is a really pivotal question. In fact, it's probably the most pivotal question because, of course, these companies push these workers outside of those protections to try and push them away from collectively getting together to advance their working conditions. And mm. when you splinter workers, as we know, then you're more able to exploit them. When workers come together in union, because let's face it, that's what a union means, workers coming together and acting together. When workers come together in union, they have power to make a real difference. And that was shown by the uh, riders a couple of years ago in Hungry Panda. Those riders faced a situation where they had unilateral changes to their contracts, rates slashed, uh, runs decimated, and workers sacked when they raised an issue about it. Two key workers when they raised an issue. They came together, they joined the union together on that and those workers were reinstated and the work changes slashes were reversed. You know, that's the power of union. The companies don't want that, but we need to ensure that we get that across the gig economy. It's really hard to organise workers in the gig economy, of course, because of those lack of rights. But when they do come together, we see the hungry panda type of arrangement. It's really critical, not only for these workers, but for workers who are in union together in the rest of our economy. There are thousands, tens of thousands of um, transport workers in the TWU in good, solid, traditional transport arrangements. And they're fighting as well for this reform because they know that if they can get reform 
for this sector, which is undercutting the companies that they work for, then they enhance their job security. So this is a, a fight for fresh union membership, people to come together in the gig economy and fight like the Hungry Panda workers did, but also for existing union membership to say, yes, we need these standards in place, not only so these workers are looked after, but so that our job security is taken care of as well. The Victorian government recently introduced a set of voluntary fair conduct and accountability standards for platforms engaging non-employee gig workers. And this was a national first and came in force uh, in uh, from the 1st of May 2023. So should other state and territory governments be introducing similar measures? And do you think they go far enough? Any provision that we can put in place at a state level which seeks to advance the interests of gig workers is important. Um, But there are much better systems than the Victorian systems that already exist. In New South Wales, there's a long-standing system for transport workers, which the new MINS government has committed to amending to ensure that it better covers gig arrangements, and that will allow standards to be put in place for gig workers in New South Wales. In Queensland, there's a new set of laws that are sitting on the books They're waiting at the moment to see how they'll interact with uh, any new federal legislation that's passed by the federal parliament. But those laws on paper look very good too and are highly enforceable and will really ensure that standards are in place. And there are other initiatives in place in Western Australia and and, um, starting to take place in South Australia as well. Now, it is critical that these laws at a state level are put in place because there are state differences and metropolitan differences that need to be taken into account, even when we have federal legislation, which we are really hopeful will occur before the end of the year. And, of course, at the state level, there's the critical question of making sure that workers' compensation systems cover these workers. You know, when the worst happens and workers are injured or, or killed, then support is absolutely critical. And at the moment, there's no automatic right for gig workers in the gig systems, and not only in the workers' compensation systems, and not only that, gig companies are not required to contribute to workers' compensation systems, and that eventually will start to drag down those systems because they'll become financially unviable. So a critical role for the states to play, yes. Look, I think the key thing here is um, for for everyone and, and listeners to remember that all we're doing here... Uh, is is fixing old, outdated laws. And it's such an urgent, urgent thing that needs to be done by the federal parliament. You know, workers pushed outside of the system. We've built up as a community for decades, deliberately pushed outside, even though they're highly reliant and look really very much like those workers that we need to protect. The results of not protecting them are workers that are dying on our roads, now 12 that have been reported since 2017. But we know that there's a massive underreporting issue here. We know that workers are attending emergency rooms in droves and are not being reported as workplace injuries. So, you know, this is vital for us. It's vital for, for people to stay alive, fundamental, uh, for people not to be injured, but to be able to have recourse when that happens and to be able to lift the pressures that lead them to being placed in that forced work environment in the first place. If we want to build real flexibility for gig workers real flexibility on the terms of workers, not on the terms of companies, uh, then we need to put this reform in place so that we can build standards and lift the pressures that are on them at the moment. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. We now go to the press conference held in Canberra as part of the National Convoy event for reform on Saturday to hear an outline of the issues for drivers in the broader transport industry. Let's hear from another another gig worker, another great uh, advocate for uh, transport reform now, and that's Rosalina. 
Hello everyone. My name is Rosalina. I've been in passenger transport now for seven years. I've been a, I've been a gig worker and a small business owner. I've been in the transport industry for seven years. I have witnessed with my own eyes the destruction and decline of the taxi industry, the limousine industry, and now the thousands of drivers now working below minimum wage in the rideshare industry. Since the introduction of the gig economy, working conditions are in decline. Drivers are being exploited. We need standards in place so all transport jobs do not become gig economy jobs. Gig economy jobs at the moment have no protections, no rights and no minimum wage. Last week we heard of an Australian limousine company, Brunel, that operated in every state. It went into liquidation owing $12 million. This company transported billionaires, but as independent contractors like me, I was one of them at one point, reported to be earning as little as $11 an hour. Driving businesses like Qantas, Emirates, Shangri-La, Four Seasons Hotels. These workers now this week have been contacting me. Some of them have been owed between $92,000 and $3,000 each, not knowing what to do. Independent contractors have no protections, no rights, and no minimum wage. The industry is being destroyed. Small and large business owners can no longer compete fairly in a gig economy. Strong evidence before us today shows the destruction which has been caused since Uber, the first foreign company to land on our shores. The gig economy needs enforceable standards urgently. I worked for Uber for a while and I think the only time I made a decent wage was actually when it was illegal. Every transport worker in Australia deserves safe and fair working conditions. We don't want to continue seeing news headlines like this week's bashing of driver Jason King and the murder of Queensland driver Scott Cabrou and the overworked driver I found dead behind the wheel of his vehicle with his engine still running. These drivers needed the safety of protections. May these drivers we've lost remain warriors. May our voices today be heard in unity and hope of change on the horizon. It's been great to see you all here today and we look forward to these upcoming changes. Thank you for TW giving me the opportunity today to have a voice. Thanks, Rosalina. Thank you That's for it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the show, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together. When the sun's still shining and my day is done I feel like I'm flying All my trouble's gone 
wish I could make it last forever. Wouldn't it be good to be free altogether? Soon it is time again to wake up in the morning and be on my way. You know I'll be longing for you through the day. I'll watch the sunrise, knowing it'll be a while till I can close my eyes by your side. Soon it is time again to wake up in the morning with long hours ahead. When traffic ain't moving and my eyes are red, comes the weekend, feeling like a rich man. Time is my friend. Enjoy while you can. Soon it is time again. I watch the sunrise, knowing it'll be a while till I can close my eyes by your side. Soon it is time again to wake up in the morning when old Monday's here. I wish it were storming, but the skies are clear. 